My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Sakura Saunders and Lisa Cameron. While unions in Canada continue to play an important role in defending the rights of workers, there are lots of working people in this country who are not union members. Some of those could no doubt be brought into traditional unions given the right kind of organizing drive, but current rules make that a difficult and unlikely option for many. In particular, workers in low-wage, part-time, and precarious jobs are less likely to be able to access union protections, and of course the lack of unionization in a given sector makes it more likely that the work will be low-wage, part-time, and precarious. Moreover, the proportion of jobs that fit in those less-than-desirable categories has grown compared to a generation ago, a trend which seems likely to continue. And it tends to be workers who face all of the other forms of social marginalization you could name – racialized workers, indigenous workers, women, trans people, migrants, queer people, disabled people, and so on – who are most likely to work those kinds of jobs. One important kind of organization that supports the struggles of low-wage and precarious workers in many places across North America is called a worker center. The details vary, but worker centers generally involve some mix of legal support, education, advocacy, and organizing for low-wage and precarious workers who do not belong to unions. Though there are worker centers in many cities, there are also many, many places where they do not exist or where they exist but have far less capacity than they need. It's an organizational model that, unlike a formal union, does not have a built-in source of resources, so they often count on the effort of dedicated activists and organizers to build them and to keep them afloat. In 2017, a group of worker organizers, trade unionists, and community activists came together in Halifax to form the Halifax Workers' Action Centre. It began as a joint project between the Halifax, Dartmouth, and District Labour Council, which is a body that brings together many of the union locals in the city, and the anti-capitalist group Solidarity Halifax. In developing the centre, they took inspiration from the highly successful Workers' Action Centre in Toronto, but adapted it to the Halifax context. The Halifax Workers' Action Centre is, quote, committed to improving the lives and working conditions of low-waged and marginalised workers, end quote. Unlike the Toronto Centre, in Halifax they're operating on an all-volunteer basis. The Labour Council provides a small amount of money that covers certain basic expenses, but the organization decided that it needed to develop ways to operate without paid staff. Despite this, they managed to provide individualized legal support to marginalized workers who are facing problems in their workplace, they do education sessions with workers themselves and with service providers around the legal rights and options available to low-wage and precarious workers, and they advocate for better working conditions and a higher minimum wage, with a focus on workers themselves taking leadership in the activism and organizing. That organizing work takes a number of forms. Some happens under the banner of the centre itself. But they have also taken a cue from the important role that the Toronto Workers' Action Centre has played in the vibrant Fight for $15 and Fairness campaign in Ontario to raise the minimum wage and improve employment standards. 
There was an earlier minimum wage coalition in Nova Scotia, but that had gone dormant in recent years, so the Halifax Workers Action Centre decided to create a new campaign under the Fight for $15 in Fairness banner. It operates, at least for the moment, as a membership group rather than a coalition, and they do regular tabling, leafleting, petitioning, and other forms of outreach, as well as holding periodic rallies, and they're currently strategizing about how to expand their reach beyond Halifax. Sakura Saunders is on the board of the Halifax Workers' Action Centre, and Lisa Cameron is on its organizing committee. They speak with me about the struggles faced by low-wage and precarious workers in the city, and about the work of the Halifax Workers' Action Centre and the city's Fight for $15 in Fairness campaign. Hello, my name is Sakura Saunders, and I am on the board of the Workers' Action Centre here in Halifax. And my name is Lisa Cameron, and I'm an organizing member for the Halifax Workers' Action Centre as well. The Halifax Workers' Action Centre offers individualized legal support to marginalized workers who are facing problems in their workplace. And we also do advocacy for better worker conditions and, of course, for a higher minimum wage. Workers in Halifax, while we definitely have considerably lower wages than most of the rest of the country, experience the same thing that workers all over Canada face, whether it's sexual harassment or stolen wages or being fired unjustly. These are issues that many workers face and many workers do not know their rights when it comes to these issues. Another thing that's not necessarily unique to Halifax, but that I can say about Halifax, is that the minimum wage here is currently almost $8 less than what is considered to be a livable wage for this city. So workers in Halifax are finding that their incomes are insufficient when it comes to just meeting their own basic needs. The Workers' Action Centre in Halifax is unique from you know, perhaps the Workers' Action Centre in Toronto in that it is an all-volunteer Workers' Action Centre. We started as a project with the Halifax Dartmouth District Labour Council and Solidarity Jabot of Halifax, which is a local anti-capitalist organization. We took a few members from each organization that made up the board, and the first thing that we did was we relaunched the Fight for 15 in Fairness campaign. That campaign had existed under a different name, Nova Scotia Needs a Raise, previously. But as the Workers' Action Center, a big part of what we do is that advocacy for a higher minimum wage for better workers' rights. And so that was the first thing that we did. And then we started getting volunteers at DAL. Uh, and that's Dalhousie University. To work at our legal clinic. And we put together a training to train these volunteers in workers' rights, even though, of course, they're all law students, so they're also getting their own training in that realm. And we started offering just this year monthly clinics that are free to attend so that non-unionized workers can get free legal information regarding their rights. Talk a little bit more about the conversations that were happening around the founding of the center, the model you chose for the organization, that kind of thing. We were all very excited and inspired by the Workers' Action Center in Toronto. So we really had discussions around what it would look like, how it could be all volunteer. And of course, one of our founding members, Jason Edwards, used to work a lot with the Toronto Workers' Action Center, and we got a lot of guidance from them. And so, for example, Dina Ladd. And she is staff at the Toronto Center. Came to the launch of our Fight for 15 and Fairness campaign last year. So we really were just, you know, talking about logistics, this sort of thing. 
we had a good relationship prior to that. Solidarity Halifax, the president of the Halifax District Labor Council, is actually a member of Solidarity Jibbulkuk Halifax. So we had a very good working relationship already. And so we were really just talking about how inspired we were and how a worker action center could work to support a Fight for 15 campaign and, of course, vice versa. In broad terms, who are vulnerable workers in Halifax? We're seeing a rise in precarious work, for example. So just, you know, the lack of job security that people have renders anyone vulnerable. But of course, that is also compounded by factors like race, gender, ability, and things like that. And then, of course, low-wage workers are vulnerable because they lack the financial resources, among other things, that they might need to address workplace injustice themselves. So I think there's so many factors that make someone vulnerable. Certainly at the Workers' Action Center, we see a lot of women who have endured sexual harassment at their workplace. We see a lot of women who've also been spontaneously terminated after informing their employer that they're pregnant. That's another one. You know, we're seeing tip theft, people being terminated without cause or wrongful termination, I should say. But yeah, we're seeing a lot of discrimination, and I'd say that that's one of the main issues. We're also seeing an increase in the amount of workplace injuries that are being brought forward to the Workers' Action Center as well, and people who don't have the resources to recover after sustaining an injury at work. About a third of workers in Nova Scotia make less than $15 an hour. Of these, 86% of these people are 20 years old or older. 85% are not students. Most of them work full-time in permanent jobs. And a lot of this is for large businesses. So in Halifax, some of the workers that make well under 15 that you might not expect to make under 15 are construction workers. In fact, lots of construction workers started around minimum wage. People working in fish plants make well under $15 an hour. And that's dangerous and difficult work, not necessarily in the city, but you'll see that a lot outside of the city bounds. Janitors, of course, are making very close to minimum wage. Anything food service related, retail generally. Wages are quite low here. Leaving aside the minimum wage campaign for the moment, tell me about some of the other core work of the center. We keep up to date with a lot of the things that happen around the city. So if we hear of an issue involving a worker or a group of workers, we're quite quick to reach out to those workers and just inform them of our services. We do a lot of outreach and things like that. We are still quite new, and so not everybody knows about us yet. So we still need to be quite active in the reaching out process. And we'll continue to do that probably forever, but definitely at least until we have a better foothold here. We're holding legal information and know your rights workshops. We're reaching out to individual communities and trying to tailor presentations to suit those communities. For example, we did something at the Social Justice Education Symposium, which was targeted to educators in the community. Indigenous communities are also reaching out to us to have presentations done to suit their labor legislation questions. We're really trying to empower people by giving them the information that they need to know their rights. I think, though, an important point is that as long as the legislation is insufficient, knowing your rights is not enough. And so we're also pushing for political change alongside the 15 and Fairness campaign, but also with more attention focused on the legal aspects, I would say. But yeah, a big part of what we do is outreach into specific communities, which we feel are especially legally vulnerable. And we're a political organization. So, of course, part of our workshops is explaining what people's rights are, but also trying to mobilize the people and organize the people that we're giving presentations to. So as Lisa was saying, explaining that, of course, this is not 
sufficient and these standards need to be raised much higher. You know, for example, Nova Scotia is still on a 48-hour work week, which means you need to be working over 48 hours in one week in order to get overtime. I think we have possibly the lowest number of style holidays in the country at six. So there's other provinces that have like 11 or 13 stat holidays as well. You need to be working for a place for 10 years before you're entitled to a reason that you were fired. So you can be fired without cause, basically, for 10 years. If there's discrimination involved or other dynamics, you might be able to bring it to a human rights tribunal. But for the most part, there are very few rights for workers here. And we're always trying to, you know, create a sense of entitlement among vulnerable workers and say, here's, for example, what workers have in Ontario. And and that's not to say that Ontario doesn't have enormous work to do, but kind of reminding Nova Scotians that it can be better and that the labor movement has created really positive and powerful change for other communities and that Nova Scotians are just as deserving of those changes. And tell me about the Fight for $15 in Fairness campaign that you started in Halifax. The Fight for 15 in Fairness in Halifax is volunteer run and it's, I would say, less of a coalition and more of a active volunteer group that's coming together, very inspired by the gains that have been made by other Fight for 15 and Fairness campaigns around the country. We started with a big rally and attracting a lot of students, which was really great in terms of our volunteer numbers, because in Halifax and in Nova Scotia generally, the Minister of Labor is the same person as the Minister of Advanced Education. And it turns out that Nova Scotia has some of the highest tuition rates in the entire country, the highest tuition rates in three out of four undergraduate categories and the fastest rising tuition rate. Now, at the same time, and again, this was last year when our campaign was just getting started, Nova Scotia had the lowest minimum wage in the country. That information paired together was infuriating. And so we decided that we would focus first on students, many of whom are making minimum wage, and rally up that fire at the beginning of the school year, working with the CFS, the Canadian Federation of Students, and the Dallas Students Union as well. We had our first big rally marching from the university to Labicasoulis' office doorstep. Because it just so happens that an area where there's a lot of universities in town, Labicasoulis, the Minister of Labor and Advanced Education, is also their MLA. So that's kind of what it looked like at first. And of course, also doing outreach, petitioning actions, really simple actions where a lot of people that might make minimum wage or close to it would gather. So we'd go to bus terminals and outside grocery stores and we would just, you know, introduce ourselves to people and tell them a bit about our campaign with the successes around the country, and not only with those successes, but with the fact that none of the naysayers' predictions came true about, you know, jobs leaving and massive unemployment. It's really easy to talk to people about the campaign and get people excited about it. And of course, we use the petitions as a way of also gathering contact information so that we can keep people informed about our campaign and mobilize them a couple times a year when we try to mobilize big numbers. What kinds of things are you hearing, both positive and negative, when you're out there talking to people on the street about raising the minimum wage? For the most part, people are really enthusiastic about it, especially after we tell them what's happened in other provinces that have adopted a higher minimum wage. But something that I do hear as well is this idea, well, I'm an accountant and I make $15 an hour. 
which is, you know, sadly the reality in Halifax, you know, why should other people that have unskilled jobs be making the same amount as me? And for those people, I remind them that there's plenty of jurisdictions like in Australia where the minimum wage is over $19 an hour. For I'm sure that the accountants are not also making $19 an hour. It might take time. But of course, when you build the economy from below, everyone benefits. You'll see a raise in wages. And not only that, but you'll also see a raise in social assistance rates. That is one of our demands at the Fight for 15 in Halifax. But talking to my friends that are in social work, they tell me that rises in minimum wage almost always accompany raises to the social assistance rates as well. In fact, they keep social assistance rates deliberately a certain amount under minimum wage because they don't want to discourage people from working. And so we really emphasize the fact that a higher minimum wage raises all boats. It's the opposite of trickle-down economics, which does not work. When you actually build from below, it benefits everyone. In other contexts, often the addition of the word fairness to the Fight for $15 slogan indicates attention not just to the minimum wage, but to employment standards more broadly. How does that fit into the campaign here? I think that minimum wage is somewhat of a polarizing topic, unfortunately. You know, some people will see the $15 and fairness campaign logo and immediately they have an opinion on it. So it's really important for us to also focus on some of the broader legislative changes that we're pushing for beyond just the minimum wage. So, you know, increases to the amount of sick leave that someone can take, paid sick leave, paid vacation, and things like that. You know, legislation that would prevent employers from paying their workers different wages based on their full-time or part-time employment status, for example. Regulation around the practice of employers being able to request sick notes from employees seeking just, you know, one or two days medical leave. There are a lot of legislative changes that we're pushing, and I think that those really need to be included in the conversation as well. Are there any plans in the works to extend the campaign into other parts of the province? We are certainly trying to get in that direction. The focus has been Halifax, but I think there are definitely efforts to reach out beyond that. Definitely, we just had our strategic visioning session and identified the expansion into other cities in Nova Scotia as one of our main priorities. Of course, we are a volunteer group that has a very tiny budget bestowed on us from the Halifax and Dartmouth District Labor Council. But there's many members, for example, that grew up in Nova Scotia and have family and community outside of Halifax. And so we're going to start there and also start with visiting labor councils and such to expand our reach. But we've got a great group in Halifax, you know, a lot of people meeting on a regular basis. We have a really active student committee as well. And so I think we've finally gotten to the point where this group is stable enough as a volunteer group that we can take some of our capacity and put it out provincially. How has it all been playing out in the media and with politicians? Right now, there's discussion. I think labor is a really relevant topic for all political parties. You're definitely seeing some resistance to this and pro-business rhetoric, you know, commitments to not increase the minimum wage and to maintain or reduce the existing labor standards. You're also seeing, you know, some really strong initiatives to convey that labor issues are important and that the minimum standards are far too low. So, I mean, it's a highly political topic, and I think we're seeing some reactions going in both directions. 
I think that while we're getting resistance from the politicians, that's kind of weaselly resistance. It's like, oh, whatever the evidence points to with this implicit notion that their process is fair. On the grassroots, I really see the tide has shifted on this. And it really gives me heart in terms of pushing forward with more confidence that anyone that actually looks at the evidence can say, wow, raising the minimum wage actually has very few negative consequences and so many benefits. And people actually really do need this. For me, it's a motivating factor to show that when we actually step in and intervene to democratically make the rules of the economy, it actually works much better than leaving it to the free market. It's one of the things motivating me, spreading this consciousness and this entitlement to change the economy, change the terms of the economy so that it can actually work better for people. And of course, I think that raising labor standards and having a higher minimum wage is just the beginning. I think we should be completely transforming our economy so that we have a chance for survival in the context of climate change. So we really need to be building this kind of insight that how the economy is currently constructed is not working for anyone. So I know that the local labor council was one of the founding partners of the Halifax Workers Action Center. But beyond the Labour Council, what's your sense of how engaged with the struggles and concerns of marginalized workers the formal labour movement is in the community? And how actively are they engaged with the work that the Workers' Action Centre is doing? The unions that have been most helpful have been SEIU and CFS, whose members often make under $15 an hour. In terms of the rest of the labour movement, they have definitely been supportive on paper. So, for example, the NS Federation of Labor every year passes a resolution supporting the fight for 15, generally speaking, and has hinted that they want to be even more involved. And we would love to see more of that happening. I think that sometimes when you are a union and you're trying to get better wages for your workers, it's not necessarily in the narrow interest of your members to raise the minimum wage, but I think it definitely is in the broader interest of workers generally. And so it's our goal to push the union movement to be more supportive and not be sort of business unions that are only out for the narrow interests of their own members, but be part of a general workers movement that pushes for higher wages across the board. Now, regarding worker rights, Unions are definitely on board with supporting that fight without any sort of complication. And like I said, no one's going to come out and say they don't support the fight for 15. But I think it's a bit of work to push them to materially support it and put money where their mouth is and maybe even mobilizing where their mouth is regarding these issues. So among the principles you identify on your website, you mention, quote, maximum possible involvement of the people affected by an issue and, quote, developing leadership amongst workers. Why are those important, and what does the center do to realize them? Maybe I speak for some of the members of the organizing committee when I say that for many of us, we're not necessarily minimum wage workers. We're people who maybe have been in that position. And so it's really important for us to keep in touch with the realities of what it is actually like to be working under those conditions. And so we're always trying to hear workers' stories and then base and tailor the services that we're offering to suit those needs and interests. So it's really important for us that we understand what the issues are and engage workers in developing solutions to those problems. 
at the Workers' Action Center, people that are coming in are non-unionized workers that have faced some sort of injustice at work. So we are providing a service, but it goes beyond service provision and that we really try to activate the people that come in on these issues. As well, Fight for 15 campaign, which at this point is fairly separate from the Workers' Action Center, though it has the involvement of the Workers' Action Center and infrastructure provided from the Workers' Action Center. But a lot of the volunteers are low-wage workers, and because we're kind of a non-hierarchical collective, they definitely have a voice in steering how and what the campaign does, you know, what we protest. And also, we want to support workers who are also unionized or are unionizing in demanding a $15 minimum wage at the bargaining table as well. So by really focusing on both these long-term goals and shorter-term goals that will put more money in low-wage workers' pockets right away, I think because we have these different strategies at play, we are attracting the involvement of low-wage workers. Another way that we can be successful in doing this is sort of reminding people that, you know, yes, we are assisting you with your individual workplace problems, but kind of reminding them that these issues are actually quite systemic in nature and that by no means are they alone in their struggle. So, you know, when as someone comes in who's experienced sexual harassment at work, it's kind of important for us to do what we can to remind them that this is common and because it's so common, we need to mobilize and create more valuable and long-term change. And just to speak a little bit about the importance of having this movement be really led by low-wage workers, I think it's really important on many levels. One level is that stories are so critical in making change. And so it's by raising the consciousness of people, not just about the facts and the possibilities and, you know, stats and everything else of raising the minimum wage, but also of the stories of struggle that people who make minimum wage are facing. My partner is a labor organizer, and I hear stories all the time of people having to choose between groceries and medication. And they're heartbreaking stories. Sometimes people in these positions are still so afraid to unionize because they don't want to risk the jobs they do have. And so Fight for 15, one of its strengths is that people have less fear in organizing for these demands because they are broader and just to pat ourselves a bit on the back, of course, it's in no way sufficient. But when we started this campaign just one year ago, we had the lowest minimum wage in the country. And this last April, all the minimum wage workers received a 55 cent raise, whereas for the previous five years, it had only been, you know, five or 10 cents, literally being nickeled and dimed with these minimum wage raises every year. So we feel like there has already been some substantial money put in the pocket of low-wage workers and definitely having people with those experiences involved adds a lot more legitimacy to the campaign and also connects us with workers so that we can help them achieve goals at their workplace in a more immediate sense. You have been listening to my interview with Sakura Saunders and Lisa Cameron of the Halifax Workers Action Center. To learn more about the center, go to halifaxworkersaction.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. 
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.